0: This podcast provides audio versions of live webinars. Please see the episode description for a link to the full presentation.
1: Hello all, this is Kristen Haberther welcoming you to this Bite Size Bio webinar, which today is sponsored by Astarte Biologics. Astarte Biologics offers the largest selection of characterized immune cells and reagents to help immunology and inflammation researchers get on with discovery. Astarte makes it easy for life sciences and pharmaceutical companies worldwide to find the right cells for their research needs. Today's presentation is titled The Mysterious World of Macrophages, How to Harness Them for Your Research, and is being presented by Anne Lodge from Astarte Biologics. Anne Lodge is the CEO of Astarte Biologics, a supplier of high-quality immune cells, reagents, and research services. She holds a PhD in cell and molecular biology from the University of Vermont and has an extensive background in cell-based therapeutics and immunology, including multiple patents. As always, we will have a question and answer session after the presentation. So please type in any questions that you have into the questions box, which appears at the right-hand side of your screen, and I will put them to Anne at the end. Uh, So the recording of the webinar will be available on our website in about 24 hours. So now over to you, Anne, for the presentation.
0: Thank you for that introduction um, and welcome to the mysterious world of macrophages. Uh, I'll attempt to give you a little bit of an introduction to what these cells look like and how to culture them and what you can make them do in, in culture. Um, so macrophages, they've been described for a long time. They, they were first described uh, by Mechnikov in 1882. He had a little Um, organism that got a thorn stuck in it and you could see these great big cells that were eating things. Um, So the very aptly named uh, macro for big and phages for eating. And they are. They're large cells compared to other uh, cells in the circulation and they ingest stuff. Just almost any little bits of things that are around, whether it's bacteria, yeast, Pieces of other cells, whatever debris, they are the janitors. Um, there are numerous types of macrophages, and just to confuse matters, they've been given some different names. The tissue resident macrophages in, in some organs are um, really described separately. Uh, for example, in the brain, there are microglial cells, which are really kind of the macrophage of the brain. In the liver, they're called kupfer cells, and in the skin, um, langerhans cells. And I think there's some in other organs as well. These are an interesting kind of group of macrophages because recently it was shown that these all develop from cells derived from the yolk sac. Um, Very elegant study showed that early in embryonic development, they these Macrophages exit the yolk sac and populate various organs, and they stay there for for keeps, um, pretty much. The so they have a different um, life history than the passenger or transitory macrophages, or what we just call macrophages, um, which are derived from the bone marrow. Um, along with the other blood cell types, and then they kind of migrate around the body. They might pass through the brain, they might pass through the liver, but they don't necessarily stay there. The other types of macrophages that are of interest these days are um, categorized more on their function. So M1 macrophages are kind of the more traditional macrophage that we think of responding to Uh, an infection and making cytokines to kind of, uh, so they're involved in that inflammation response and uh, clearing up uh, some insult to the body. The M2 macrophages are more involved in the healing phase of that um, or any other insult or injury and um, produce less inflammatory Uh, proteins and more uh, proteins that are involved in actual tissue regeneration or healing. These are also um, associated with tumors. Uh, You will see references in the literature to myeloid-derived suppressor cells, MDSC, and these can be thought of as uh, dendritic cells or macrophages that have kind of reverted to this phenotype that limits inflammation and, and tamps down the immune response. And that's part of the reason that there's interest in signals that might drive macrophages to join one or another camp of the M1 or M2. And on it, honestly, it is more of a continuum uh, in terms of, you know, these two are described as extremes, but you'll find macrophages kind of blend into each other at some point. Uh, And before we dive in any deeper, what the heck are monocytes? Well, monocytes are in the peripheral blood and that's the only place you find them because as soon as they go into the tissue they're called macrophages. Um, So you don't find any macrophages in the blood, you don't find any monocytes in the tissue. It seems to be just a naming difference as to where we find them. Monocytes in the blood, exit the blood vessel and then we consider them macrophage and they kind of replenish those passenger or transitory macrophages I mentioned a couple slides back. So with human cells, um, commonly research is done on monocyte-derived macrophages and we'll talk about that um, a few slides further on. which is where the meat of this is, is a uh, culture of macrophages, uh, because we do get uh, many questions about this. Uh, one of the first things you need to think about is what you're going to culture them in. Um, and you have plenty of choices out there. There are serum free formulations on the market. Um, there are sort of your traditional classic media that we're all familiar with, like RPMI and DMEM. And then there's also supplements. Um, You will need uh, to use macrophage colony-stimulating factor uh, for your macrophage growth. So uh, this is also known as CSF1, colony-stimulating factor 1, or macrophage colony-stimulating factor. Um, It is possible to grow mouse cells in human MCSF, but I don't believe it works the other way around. So there is some cross-species reactivity of this cytokine. Um, Easiest thing is to just get yourself some human uh, recombinant MCSF and use that. And under those conditions, you can pretty easily grow mouse macrophages from uh, bone marrow cells, the progenitor cells in bone marrow Put those cells in culture with uh, MCSF and away they go. And this is a beautiful example of what those cultures look like. Um, there's sort of a variety of morphologies here, but you know, kind of stretched out, some very elongated, some more flattened out. Um, this is a beautiful little culture going here. Well, we wanted to know um, what the best medium was for culture of our mouse macrophages, and so we tested uh, some classic media supplemented with fetal bovine serum and uh, varying concentrations of MCSF. So you can see in the legend that we tried RPMI. RPMI supplemented with hypoxanthine and thymidine, which we found is just kind of a nice uh, supplement for rapidly growing cells. Ice coves uh, modified Dubalko's medium and DME F12. Uh, so three media formulations that you can buy from just about any supplier of tissue culture medium. And what you can see here is we did test different concentrations of MCSF and we measured the number of cells present using uh, cell titer glow which gives a luminescent signal that's proportional to the amount of ATP present. And the amount of ATP is proportional to the number of cells. What is clear here is that the IMDM formulation seems to support growth um, better than the other three formulations. Maybe f 12 uh, caught up to it here at the highest concentration of MCSF. RPMI, which is a very commonly used uh, medium, especially in immunology labs, clearly isn't as good as these other two. They're probably all equivalent down here, aside from IMDM, but not so much at the higher concentration. So things are different when you get to the human macrophage culture. So traditionally uh, monocyte-derived macrophages, as I mentioned, they take monocytes um, and culture that with MCSF. But monocytes aren't progenitors. They're already differentiated, uh, so there's not a whole lot of growth that goes on in that case, where with the bone marrow progenitors for mice you can grow a lot of cells. Um, We've also found that monocytes that we prepare by negative selection may contain a small number of uh, CD34 cells. So if there is proliferation in a human monocyte culture, it is probably due to that uh, contaminant, if you will. Um, so similar f- to our mouse system, we tested, um, in this case, a serum pre-formulation Xvivo 15 with MCSF and the two more traditional uh, media that were good for mouse DMEF12 and IMDM, um, also supplemented with MCSF and with human serum. So just to show you some of the morphology that um, that we saw and that you might see in some of your cultures, this is in the serum free uh, XOUO 15. Um, and these long, delicate, uh, cells are kind of classic macrophage. You can see this uh, blue arrow pointing to a, a really long and skinny migrating macrophage and it actually at the other end of the arrow is another thing we, I usually call a fried egg kind of morphology because it's a big splat of cytoplasm with a, um, the yolk in the middle being the nucleus. And what you see a lot of in this field and in ex um, vivo 15 are cells that are not attached to the plastic and that's pointed out here by the yellow arrow and all of these really bright cells are cells that just haven't attached to the plastic so it looks very different in the presence of human serum and dme f12 um, you can see that this is pretty much confluent for one thing there's a of cells in here Um, and i got to say that this is the same number of cells from the same donor you know but just cultured in dme f12 Um, many more of these round flattened out cells most of these appear to be attached here's another one over here but all through the field you see these more rounded cells less of the elongated type although there are elongated cells in here. They're just less frequent. And then sort of in between um, is the IMDM uh, formulation, where there's a mixture of the elongated cells. You can see their little skinny little processes sticking out, but also rounder cells of the more fried egg type morphology sitting around in here. So then, you know, we had these nice morphology differences to look at, we also wanted to see what, what's the function like. Um, so we stimulated those cultures with lipopolysaccharide um, endotoxin, if you will, and this is a strong uh, activator of macrophages, and it was a really big difference between the three medium. Uh, Cells cultured in DME F12 produced much more IL-6 and TNF-alpha compared to those same cells grown in ex vivo or IMDM. So, uh, for instance, with TNF it was nearly 9,000 picograms per mil um, versus less than a thousand for the other two media. What was interesting is if we stimulated them with poly IC, which binds to a different toll-like receptor, TLR3 versus TLR4, uh, now it was ex vivo 15 that supported better cytokine production. Um, DME F12 still um, a pretty good second, but um, IMDM not at all, or much lower levels than the other two. So uh, something about ex vivo 15 perhaps supports more expression of that uh, TLR3. It's hard to know, Um, but an interesting difference in uh, cytokine production among these three media types. One other thing to consider when you're culturing your macrophages is that they adhere to the tissue culture plastic very, very tightly. You can scrape them off, but anytime you scrape off cells, you will have cell damage and death. You can't get them off using trypsin. You might be able to get some movement with Accutase and maybe with EDTA, but even um, those two compounds, very difficult to retrieve those cells off of the plastic once they've decided to stick and uh, just to show you a comparison here if you culture your macrophages on um, ultra-low attachment culture plastic you can see that these are all really bright and round as i showed in the earlier um, photomicrographs with only a few of these long stringy cells attached and the same cells on tissue culture plastic you can tell are very much adherent.
1: We hope you're enjoying this episode of Listen In from Bite Size Bio. To access the visuals of this webinar, please see the episode description for a link to the full presentation.
0: So our recommendation is that it's best to culture them in the configuration you will use them. So if you're going to do something in a 96-well plate, put them in there and be done with it because it's really hard to get them back. The second best thing you can do is use ultra-low attachment culture vessels from Corning. They are kind of pricey, so you really need to be convinced that you need to recover them after your culture period. A cheaper alternative is non-tissue culture-treated plastic. Um, You can use bacterial uh, petri dishes that are not treated um, for attachment of cells. And those are better, but it's still a lot of work to get the cells off. So again, really recommend putting them um, in place and using them as is, if you can. So finally, a little bit about M1 and M2 macrophages. So as I mentioned before, M1 macrophages are sort of our classic Um, they go along with the Th1 inflammatory phenotype. They make a lot of pro-inflammatory cytokines, present antigen and produce nitric oxide. And the M2 are more making IL-10, IL-13, not many inflammatory cytokines and not making nitric oxide. We build up your extracellular matrix to kind of knit things back together. So the conditions that favor one or the other, if you grow, as I've just described, most most cultures involve using MCSF, but that favors an M2 phenotype. So if you want to switch them from an M2 to an M1, you can treat with interferon gamma, which will skew them towards M1, or with GMCSF, which is also more of an uh, M1-type cytokine. Um, stimulation with LPS very much uh, favors that uh, inflammatory cell type, as uh, it makes biological sense that it would, because it represents a bacterial um, structure that um, microphages are designed to recognize molecular patterns of pathogens and this is, fits right in with that. Stimulation with poly IC may also have that same effect of switching things to an M1 phenotype. And this, um, these two photomicrographs give you a, a sense of what happens to your macrophage after activation. Um, the control macrophage here have more of those rounded shapes looks like this is in dme f12 Um, but kind of chubby little cells and 48 hours after adding lps you'll see very long extended stretched out cells and anytime you see a culture full of these you know that there's been some activation going on and there's probably going to be cytokine in the medium. So macrophages are a really versatile cell type. Um, We haven't spent a lot of time talking about some of the other things you can do with macrophages, but they have some great tricks like phagocytosis. Um, Of course they can migrate, that's one of their things, Um, but they are difficult to work with in the lab because of that tight sticking to plastic. Selection of your culture medium is really important. It will influence function of the cells and your ability to measure activation. So take the time to learn what works best in your laboratory. Um, If you do use serum supplementation, that will have an impact as well and make sure you set yourself up for successful experiments down the road by kind of checking your conditions before you dive into the the meat of your experiment. And thank you for your time and attention, and we can take some time to take questions and discuss. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you for that really interesting talk, Anne. Um... Yeah, that was, that was really interesting. Um, we have some questions from the audience. Um, so the first is uh, from Martin Johansson. He says, from my associates, I've heard that human macrophages can only be cultured in human serum. Otherwise, they senesce and or die. What are your thoughts about that?
0: Uh, that hasn't. <laughs> been my experience um but that might be because of a lack of mcsf that is species compatible um mcsf would be present in serum but um if bovine mcsf doesn't work on human cells which it may not Mm -hmm. um yeah then you're then you're out of a key um growth factor
1: yeah yeah absolutely um yeah i i Completely agree. I think even for a period of time, we were concerned uh, in my postdoc lab about um, negative effects of serum. And so for a period of time, our macrophages are being grown in serum free media and they were still fine. So, right. um, Okay, so, next question is, if most residential macrophages are M2 and express CD206, will targeting it pose global toxicity?
0: Hmm, good question. (laughs) Actually, I would think you would get, um, it it wouldn't be targeted to a particular organ, that's for sure. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Absolutely. <laughs> but keep in mind that um, a lot of the, um, the bisphosphonates that are prescribed for osteoporosis, their whole mechanism of action is dependent on killing off macrophages. Right. So there's that. <laughs> there's that. <laughs> <laughs> you can live without them for a time, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um... Okay, so what about, um, there? Uh, another attendee is asking about the dose of LPS that you use for your macrophage cell culture.
0: Oh, we usually use around 100 nanograms per mil. Um, okay. and, and we have titrated that. It's always worth doing a titration when you're working with almost anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a wide range of quality when it comes to LPS. But an, a, a good clean prep would actually give you some effects, even down at a nanogram
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, per mil.
1: Do you, um, I, this is in no way a product placement, but do you have a particular resource that you usually go to for your LPS that you could suggest? We
0: we honestly have been getting it from Sigma, but we do another purification in, in-house. Mm. Um, because it's really hard to get LPS that doesn't also have, um, lipoproteins. Sure. Sure. Or lipopeptides that, that would then bind to other toll-like receptors.
1: Right. Right. So you just do a purification at that step in house.
0: That's right. Right.
1: That makes sense. Okay. Um, moving on. How does the addition of GM-CSF affect the maturation of MDM?
0: That's a good question um and and that's some of what we were playing around with when we were looking at um different culture media um and it's a little bit of a tricky question because for some of us we're used to thinking of growing monocytes in GMCSF gives you dendritic cells mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, i think this is sort of a just a name difference
1: yeah put
0: it that way um if you do mdm in mcsf like we usually do and then throw gm in later you'll get more of an m1 type response out of those cells mm-hmm. yeah yeah so i think and for some people they they would grow in gm csf and still call them macrophages yeah so yeah yeah
1: so it's just kind of what your what your your categories are
0: or your yeah
1: specifying? yeah depends on what you want to call them right for sure Okay. Um the next question is uh Jennifer asks, I use recombinant human insulin in my monocyte to macrophage differentiation cultures. This works well. Do you think uh-huh. it pushes them to M1 or M2? Ooh.
0: Got <laughs> no idea. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a <laughs> You should check. I was, <laughs> was going to uh, say, this, so, this sounds like a thesis project. <laughs> it sounds like something to look at. Well, and and there are, um, she's probably more aware of this than I am, that there are um, obesity effects, metabolic effects that um, maybe skew things more to an inflammatory state. So maybe mm-hmm. insulin would do that. I don't right. know.
1: And maybe even just yeah. at a certain concentration, too.
0: Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Who knows? You're Insulin to- has funny effects in vitro because it can, I, I think it can also act through the IGF-1 receptor.
1: Oh, I didn't know that.
0: I think. Oh. Okay. Don't quote me on that. It's just, <laughs> there's a reason that's called insulin-like growth factor. Mm, got
1: it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Uh, okay, what? Oh, what is this next question? What is the Oh, this is a good one. <laughs> what is the role of M2 macrophages in tumor progression?
0: Ah. So, yes, M2s just, are kind of yeah. figured on being more suppressive like.
1: Yes, and I think perhaps they're asking about like TAMs.
0: Yes. yes, tumor-associated yeah. macrophages right. or myeloid-derived mm-hmm. suppressor cells or yeah, that that whole fuzzy group of cells that are found in tumor microenvironments and may play a role in, in screwing up the possibility of, of getting rid of tumor cells. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So if they're not pro-inflammatory, they're a problem. And we should yeah. do something about that.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> you should wake those up. Um for supplement. Um for supplements, is low or high glucose required to grow them in culture media? Uh
0: the formulations of DMEM we play around with are usually the high glucose okay. formulations. I don't know that. The high glucose level is required.
1: Why is it that you guys use high
0: because glucose? We haven't honestly compared the two formulations. Oh, okay.
1: Is it just from a, a previous protocol that you use the high glucose, or just?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think I, I think um, you know I tend to get that kind,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, figuring that for rapidly growing cells the high glucose is beneficial. But yeah. honestly, you could certainly take a step back and say, well. There's, there's DMEM that's got, you know, I think it's a gram per liter of glucose, and then there's the four and a half grams per liter.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Big difference. So,
1: this is going to seem, this is, is my own question as we're talking about this. When, with the high glucose and the macrophages, with the high growing macrophages, do you think that that could put them into a a different metabolic state and then a different differentiation pathway than otherwise?
0: Um, it could. Mm-hmm. It could given all of the, the metabolic um, studies that are coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd have to wonder about that.
1: Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, Hisham asks, how many macrophage passages can we do?
0: <laughs> <laughs> you can't do any with mouse ma- with human macrophages. No. Sorry. The human macrophage just don't they don't divide. No. That's it. No. The
1: they're, they're they're only really they're gonna get
0: is if there's C D thirty fours in there. Um but with the mouse they seem to keep on going. Hmm. Of course you're starting from progenitors. Well, and that's probably some of the deal, is that you take bone marrow stem cells and and get them dividing right um yeah those go for for a while but they're they're kind of funny as far as passage goes because um as i was explaining to someone last week you kind of wait for the cells to pile up on each other and then you take the ones that are kind of on top right and pipette them off and move them to another flask
1: mm-hmm. yeah um, you can use and ones.
0: you can keep doing that for weeks
1: interesting hm um okay so why are macrophages important to study cancer cells and then so this is two questions so that's the first question and the second is mcf is the biomarker for which disease
0: i feel like this is a test oh that is um so so the the macrophages are important to, to um Immuno-oncology because of what we were talking about earlier that, you know, if they're not in, they're probably a problem um, for people working on therapies that rely on the immune system to attack the cancer. Right. Um, Because they can dampen down that response, we want to understand what moves them from one direction to the other. m c s f oh so oh. there is a yeah. mouse that is an osteopetrotic mouse, and I can't remember if it lacks the receptor i think it lacks the receptor mm-hmm. for m c s f or c s f one and without that receptor, they are osteo- they basically are born with osteoporosis gotcha.
1: Curious.
0: Which kind of doesn't make sense, does it?
1: Hmm. Yeah.
0: But well, anyway, the, yes, yeah. there, are, there are mutant mouse strains out there that that have a disruption in that whole circuit. Okay. Okay. And what's highlighted is is the effects on the skeleton. Because but,
1: yeah.
0: they are involved in, t- in remodeling bone. Macrophages are. Yes. I didn't know that. Under their code name, osteoclasts.
1: Oh, duh. Just, okay. You know. Right. Yeah.
0: Yes, I know. See, you call them something different, but and honestly, it... <laughs> they're. You put them in a whole different category. It
1: doesn't even make any sense. Okay. Wow. Oh, so curious. Okay. There's there's
0: <laughs> the resident macrophage of the bone. It's right. called osteoclast.
1: Right. Duh.
0: Uh huh. Uh, I always just whenever yeah.
1: as an immunologist, you just think of like Cooper cells and you know glial cells and. You don't. You don't always think about that. Oh, okay. So, do antibiotics affect macrophage growth?
0: Um, if you use enough of them, sure. Um, <laughs> d- depends on the antibiotic and and all of that. I'm just not a big fan of using antibiotics in tissue culture media because mm-hmm. the world is just full of too many antibiotics. Yeah. Um. <sighs> So, so that's that g m uh gentamicin is will inhibit protein synthesis in mammalian cells if you crank it up high enough uh-huh um, so that's one that that people still use, and right. at a certain concentration it's probably not harming the cells a bit um penicillin probably doesn't bother them but it doesn't bother anything on the planet anymore <laughs> cuz it's you know
1: exactly every,
0: everything's resistant except maybe some streptococci yeah um yeah yeah
1: agreed <laughs> um okay what do you think of using MEM for macrophage culture um
0: MEM probably is pretty limited in its nutrients. That would be my guess. Although I think I've seen alpha-MEM used for osteoclast culture. So so it might work, especially if you supplement with serum. I think serum kind of covers over all of the defects in any particular formulation. Mm
1: -hmm. Um,
0: To some extent. Yeah,
1: yeah, to some extent. So this is uh, two questions as well. So um, Michael says, in using low attachment plates, the morphology of the macrophages are different. How does this affect any functional readouts? And would you expect the macrophages in a low attachment plate to behave significantly different than in normal culture plates?
0: Yeah. Well, so... They might behave differently because, you know, the whole thing of macrophages sticking so tightly to plastic and not wanting to move. Uh Um, I know colleagues and I once had a discussion and we proposed, though we can't really prove it, that the macrophages are actually trying to engulf the plastic. They recognize it as a surface that's not normal. And so they're trying to phagocytose something that's bigger than themselves so that's (laughs) got to do something to them yeah um and i don't know how the low attachment stuff honestly i don't know what the surface modification is Mm -hmm. um maybe that's better for them because they're not trying to respond to something um Mm -hmm. but i haven't honestly looked It's more of a it's more of a practical consideration of, gee, if I want to work with these cells, I need to be able to move them from place to place. Gotcha.
1: Um, What is the difference of using spleen versus bone marrow for
0: macrophage prep? Ah, from mice. So, um, you know, I haven't done this in a lot of years, but I think I was able to grow macrophage from spleen. The nice thing about bone marrow though, is that you know you have progenitor cells there, right, so they're much younger in their development, and you probably get more cell division out mm-hmm. um, yeah when we when we phenotype spleen cell suspensions, there's not a lot of macrophages there to begin with, right um, yeah, that's all, yeah. Just different, different areas. And you'd probably be taking the macrophages that are there and, and just keeping them going versus the, uh, bone marrow where you've got progenitor cells and you're driving their differentiation to macrophage.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, this kind of goes back to the other question, but, uh, uh, they're asking, is it necessary to add antibiotics, i.e. pen strap, to your culture media?
0: No. I would have completely 100% agreed with that. No, in a word, you do not need those things.
1: And as a, so I used to, my postdoc was in um, a laboratory in Seattle where we were doing a lot of kind of preclinical stuff. And so aside from just that we don't need it is the fact that if you do have it, it often masks any kind of infection that would be present in the culture media like mycoplasma that could alter and affect all of your growths and your readouts and so it's much better to just know straight ahead if there's some kind of um you know contamination than to put in some kind of antibiotic right the only
0: thing i can think of is you know uh, whether you're collecting tissues from mice or from humans Mm -hmm. there might be some value to including antibiotics just in sort of transport media sure but
1: in culture just so needed. that
0: if anything's in there you you you've kind of prevented it and you can probably, you know, yeah lose it along the way. But um but for routine tissue culture, it really we really shouldn't be using that stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um how, let's see, how did you oh how did you ensure that the LPS affects were stable during the experiments. Maybe like reproducible or This is how do you, how are you sure or how are you sure that the LPS effects was stable during the experiments?
0: Hmm. Not sure I understand yeah. the question. Miriam,
1: if you want to I agree. mean we added
0: in LPS and we just leave it in. Right. So,
1: um, If you're still here, Miriam, if you would, go ahead and uh, maybe add an additional question for clarification, and we'll come back around and hit that again. Um, okay. Oh, Jennifer was saying, ooh, interesting about the diabetes aspect. She was the one that asked about the insulin question before. Uh, Hazel asks, what are the best conditions for getting THP1 cells to produce TNF-alpha?
0: Oh. Huh. Um, gee, I haven't had any trouble with them doing that. They seem pretty capable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe check, Um, your cells, the, the THP ones. Yeah. Yeah. The THP ones should, should respond pretty well to LPS stimulation.
1: Maybe. Yeah. If they're not, uh, alpha. yeah. I wonder if they've just been passage too many times. Or, because you can pass as THP ones, right? Yeah. So maybe there's just a high passage number. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. I wouldn't think so, man. These are these are transformed cells that have been in culture for God knows how long. Sure. You know, they're a leukemia. Right. So, they just keep going. Um, yeah.
1: Oh, maybe check your yeah, check
0: the software. Yeah, first. although, yeah, I'm not sure. So if they're not responding to LPS, are they in a serum-containing media? Mm, that could be I haven't honestly looked to express CD14, but they are usually cultured with fetal bovine serum, and then yeah. Yeah,
1: hm, that's curious. Okay. Yeah. Um. Do you have experience in co-culturing macrophages with other cells, such as cancer cells, fibroblasts, etc., and what is the potential for artifacts?
0: Mm. Um, yeah, we've usually done it deliberately when we do the co-cultures. Um, so we've done co-cultures to see macrophage phagocytose cells. So mm-hmm. you'll see that, mm-hmm. like you might lose your tumor cells. <laughs> um, to the macrophage, right? Um, which you should, <laughs> and right, which you should, and you. We've done antigen presentation experiments and looked at cytokine production, and had the question come up: Well, who's making the cytokine? Is it the macrophage or is it the T cell? Right, and you can do. You can do intracellular cytokine staining to kind of satisfy yourselves as to who's making what Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in those circumstances. Right.
1: Um, So Miriam got back about the LPS question and she says so she says that she has the experience that the same dose of LPS from the same drug batch has had different effects on animal health scores. So I think she was one making wondering then and back to your experiment. How are you? Were you sure that it was consistent across the board?
0: Oh, that yeah. Okay. So is that just a sample experiment, or would that happen right. over and over again? Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I mean, it that that's meant to be representative of of several experiments, um, and I and certainly the amplitude, you know, the the magnitude of the response varies, mm-hmm. and that seems to be just. A feature of cell-based assays yeah that we have to live with um, and if she's talking about doing experiments in mice I would think the same might be true um,
1: yeah I mean even
0: one would hope it would not be too different but
1: yeah but you'd have some kind of a difference in responses They are different animals still
0: right because of the differences in the mice themselves, not necessarily in the, the LPS. Right, exactly. Whether they're under stress or mm-hmm. are they a different age or right. did somebody change their feed or their bedding? It's very strange with mice, you know, small things can make a difference in their immune response. Mm-hmm. Just because of the small,
1: small environment,
0: <laughs> the small body. Well, Things that we don't think are important are apparently important. Mm-hmm. I I can only say that um, when I've worked in mouse models, specifically, I've worked in a worked with the EAE model. Mm-hmm. And if you move to a different institution and you try to do it the same way, mm-hmm. you you can have difficulties. Yeah. And and we did, and we tried different bedding, and we tried mice from different suppliers and we checked into the chow and all of these things mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah stressful funny uh, how that works it
1: is yeah. yes i <laughs> want everything to stay the same so we're really bad experiments.
0: when you're to complete a postdoc and the mice aren't getting sick
1: right <laughs>
0: <laughs> really need
1: that standard deviation to be a lot smaller thanks guys um so yeah. c- can both m1 and M2 become osteoclast?
0: Oh, probably. I mean, the, there's certain uh, growth factors to drive monocytes to differentiate towards a osteoclast yeah, I think uh, it, phenotype. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah,
1: Yeah, it's just more of like M1 and M2 are supposed to be easily, it's easy to identify like inflammatory versus more suppressive, but it's the location that calls them osteoclast versus whatever microglia, right. or, yeah, right. that kind of thing. Um, okay, what? Oh man, this. <laughs> I worked with people that I wasn't actually working on the macrophages in my postdoc lab, but this is was a big point of discussion in our lab almost every lab meeting. What markers would you recommend for the distinction of M1 and M2 macrophages, and are there different markers for TAMs?
0: Um, you know, I think there are some publications out there on it, and and I haven't kept up with my reading well enough to tell you what they are. Yeah. I just know I've run into some people claiming different expression on M1 and M2. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, it's more of a functional thing than a surface marker thing. But then again, there's always a surface marker for something.
1: Yeah. Which I think can kind of get a little, uh, complicated too, when you're trying to discern everything because you can have, it's not just like, no, there isn't going to be any 206 here. It's there might just be a little bit less than it's all kind of on a spectrum rather than a quantitative yes and no. Or qualitative I should say
0: right right yes. um,
1: yeah
0: right it, it, it is a spectrum so mm-hmm. right where are you gonna draw the line and say they've crossed over yeah. based on expression of 206 or, or any anything else for that right matter?
1: yeah exactly okay um let's see we have yes <laughs> this is true there are monocyte subtypes also classic intermediate non-classical Oh, which one gives rise to M1 or M2 phenotype of macrophages?
0: Oh, dear. (laughs) Now, see, when the audience gets smarter than me, I'm I'm in trouble. Um, Because before before today, Mm -hmm. I was reading something where right off in the intro, somebody said, well, people used to think that monocytes became macrophage, but no. (laughs) <laughs> and it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, so that would, I would turn the question around since I don't have a good answer. <laughs> um, you know, what distinguishes a monocyte from a macrophage? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Really, I mean, I, I I would like somebody to answer that for me. I I've given my answer in this talk as being oh, monocyte just happens to be in the circulation,
1: right? And yeah, that's what we're talking about. And once
0: it exits the circulation, we call it a macrophage, right? Um, nobody refers to macrophages in the circulation, right? But if they're changing that definition, uh, somebody needs to catch me up. <laughs> Fair enough, We'll send you back.
1: Um, Is't it send me back. Yeah <laughs> Yeah, um, is it, yeah, I can't remember. I... this is so long ago. I'm not even gonna talk <laughs> quite about it. I just remember the Cause do monocytes don't they don't have as much of a phagocytic functionality as macrophages, or is that incorrect? Like they need to be activated
0: before. I've seen them agasatos. Yeah. I, I I throw stuff in there and they gobble it up. Oh okay. So so again, I'm I, you know I I'm happy to learn something. Mm-hmm. I like like That's learning great. new things, but I don't I don't fully understand the difference beyond kind of where they're located.
1: Yeah no I I agree I think it's it's all there's still a lot to be discerned about macrophages yeah. and monocytes.
0: And, and and that's you know, having somebody say that there are different types of monocytes, that that doesn't surprise me much because think when we isolate monocytes, mm-hmm. we end up with a mixed population, some that express C D sixteen, which right. is the F C receptor three, and some don't. Right. So it is not a uniform population, Uh -uh. and what does one set of those do compared to the other set? Uh Don't know. Yeah. Don't know. So, so that they're heterogeneous, I, I buy that, and I. But I guess my question: I would be surprised if somebody found out that they have a very distinct lineage, and this type develops into M1, and this other type develops into M2. I, that Those distinctions, to me, seem to be, they're not immutable. You can take an M2 and turn it into an M1 and yeah, vice versa.
1: Absolutely, yeah, for sure. And we sure
0: hope that's true, because otherwise, we're stuck with these TAMs <laughs> causing problems for us. Yes. Um,
1: on that, Jennifer, who had uh, asked a question earlier, just said, Uh, Loss of CD14 and gain of CD16 is how I've defined whether a monocyte has become a macrophage.
0: Oh, well, I don't know about that,
1: though. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's true that I think that that a lot of people use that, but I don't know, just like we've talked about, whether just because everything just seems very much on a spectrum, it's hard to discern and say, yes, this is a monocyte. Yes, this is a macrophage at this point.
0: Like, right. Yeah. Because well, okay. So 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 if it had CD16 and it it wouldn't matter that it was in the circulation. You call that CD16 positive I, thing I, yeah. a macrophage.
1: I think a lot of the times what but I but it think, would
0: still express CD14.
1: Yes. So I think a lot of the times when people are trying to discern the different populations, rather than just saying monocytes and macrophages, at least what I, when I was still in the lab, we were using the markers as part of the name, like you're just saying, CD16 positive, CD14 negative macrophage versus a double positive versus whatever to try to do, Got it. get more of a, a distinctive marker on it. I
0: don't right. know if that means anything, right.
1: but yeah. I think i think it's just with macrophages even with t cells but more so that there's still so much left that we don't know that it's it just seems very muddy sometimes
0: yeah well you know that that point makes me want to kind of go and and look at the cells and say okay if i was to separate my monocytes into cd16 negative and cd16 positive Mm -hmm. what happens when i culture those two populations
1: yeah yeah what do they become
0: their surface markers Mm -hmm. yeah
1: yeah fair go and interesting (laughs) go back hey get in the lab experiments back to the lab back to the lab um Let's see. We probably have time for a couple more questions here. So uh, the next one is: Is there any relationship with mitochondrial dysfunction with macrophage development?
0: Mm. You're getting some. Good I questions don't know today. much about. Mm. What's that? You said you're getting some good questions yeah. today. <laughs> you guys are really trusting me. Don't know much about mitochondrial dysfunctional phenotypes. Okay. You Fair think enough. those would be. Um, yeah. Um, Don't know oh, enough about that one. Sorry.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, do macrophages stick very, very tightly, even to glass and other substances while culturing?
0: Was that a question? Yes. We could make it a statement because they do it attach they do. very tightly to glass.
1: Yes, and other substances. And plastic.
0: Yes. Um, and other substances. They even stick to Teflon. So there you go. Oh, wow. Uh, OK. I've, I've tried culturing them on Teflon. And, and you can get them off of Teflon easier, but eh, it's not. They still stick.
1: Yeah. But yeah, but kind of like how you were we were talking about before with them sticking when possibly trying to phagocytose something that they shouldn't be. It doesn't seem like it would be the best
0: culture, right? Like right, a, it doesn't seem yeah. like it does it. Um,
1: yeah. So I don't. When you, when you start a new macrophage cell line, how many passages do you need to go before you can store some of the cells in liquid nitrogen
0: for future use? Ooh. Well, don't try doing that with, mo- with human monocytes or macrophage. I think one. they're saying
1: a cell line, so like THP1 or something.
0: Oh, well, THP1. See, I don't know. Um, there are changes, oh, aren't they're, there? They're pers- and I think we've usually what? tried to limit the time and culture to a month.
1: Okay. Culture in a month. So and this, then go back
0: to a fresh culture.
1: It looks like they were using, they're using raw um, 2647 cells, but I suppose right, it'd be the same right. thing. Yeah.
0: I, I think it'd be about the same thing. Okay. So about a month. I think I have more experience with THP1 than the raw, but, mm-hmm. um, but the THP1s, we were changing them out after a month.
1: Okay. Makes sense. Um and this should be our last yeah. question here. So we have have you ever tried to extract the extracellular vesicles from M1 or M2 macrophages and then they go on to say I was thinking to use the extracellular vesicles of macrophages for therapy for disease therapy. I could not get enough EVs from microglia, then I want to replace it with blood macrophages.
0: Ooh well, you know, we have considered making exosomes mm-hmm. from our cells okay. because there is so much interest in exosomes these days, but yes. we have not gotten around to it. Um, and we would need to characterize them and because, you know, it, it seems almost too simple to me. Oh, you collect the, the extracellular <laughs> stuff and that's your extrazo- exosomes. And it's like, no, really? <laughs> 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 it's got be more than that I would want to be able to tell you something about them right, so if we do that you'll you can hear about it <laughs> <laughs> the next webinar <laughs> um at the next webinar, we'll talk about exosomes because yeah that that would be an interesting um it would be an interesting product It really would, yeah, I agree
1: uh well, thank you again, Anne. For a fantastic webinar. This was really interesting. Um, and I just want to thank everybody else that has tuned in today. Um, and we will uh, have the webinar on, uh, excuse me, on our website in about 24 hours. Um, so again, Until next time, good luck in your research. Uh, Thank you again for Anne and goodbye to all of us from Astarte Biologics and Bite Size Bio.
0: Thanks very much. Bye-bye.
1: Finding the right mentor can make all the difference in your research journey. But what if you don't have one? Look no further than Mentors at Your Benchside, the podcast that offers curated advice from experienced researchers on lab skills, techniques, and career progression. With short, easy-to-access episodes, you can get the help you need to succeed in the lab. Visit bitesizebio.com forward slash podcasts or search for mentors at your bench site in your podcast app to subscribe and get help and advice from seasoned scientists.